Hello, and welcome to the Modern Retail Rundown. I'm your host, senior reporter, Gabby Barco, and I'm here with Modern Retail's editor-in-chief, Kale Guthrie-Weissman. Hello, Kale. How are you? Hey, Gabby. How are you? I'm good. It's a little gloomy this Friday, but uh, otherwise great and uh, ready to chat the week's headlines with you. Yeah, we had a, it was only a four day week, but still a lot of things happened. So we got a lot to catch up on, don't we? Yes, we do. Squeezing in all the news. So yeah, welcome to our new Saturday show that we just launched, where we will be getting you up to speed on the biggest headlines in the retail world for this week. Today, we'll be going over three big stories that caught our attention here at Modern Retail. The first one up has to do with ad sales and how they're boosting revenue for some marketplaces, even during uh, somewhat of a decline for sales demands. Next up, we'll be talking about some major retailers that are preparing for slowdown just due to the inflation or potential recession that we keep hearing about uh, and demand in the next year. And last but not least, we'll be talking about Starbucks's new olive oil infused coffee, which we're obviously very excited about. So first up, let's talk a little bit about ad sales. So one thing that I noticed this week in going over some of the earnings, uh, specifically uh, with eBay and Etsy, which both actually posted better than expected uh, revenue for the quarter, is that they both mentioned that the their ad business is doing really well. Uh, I believe eBay's fourth quarter ad revenue grew by 19% and reached 319 million. So it's growing pretty steadily. And um, as many people probably know, eBay has been on a multi-year strategy to sort of boost its brand and get more into refurbishing and essentially be able to compete more with some of the other resale sites. Um, But the ad network is fairly new, but it's kind of part of this bigger trend of a lot of retailers and marketplaces launching them so that they can essentially get brands to advertise on there or sellers to advertise on there. So, Kale, do you want to just walk us a little bit through what this means and why maybe the pros and cons of counting on ads as a source of income? Sure. Well, I would say that, uh, I mean, for each marketplace, they have their own reasons to do it, but it seems like the one strategy that every digital marketplace and even non-digital retailer is trying to do. So, you know, you can talk about Kroger, you could talk about Albertsons, you could talk about, I don't know, the list goes on. All of these companies are trying to build out their um, ad networks so that they don't have to rely just on selling goods, which I think is interesting. It makes sense because, you know, we, we, we look at Amazon, which Amazon is the company that, you know, every retailer tries to mimic in different ways. And Amazon has become one of the, the fastest growing advertising engines ever. Um, and also, like, Amazon recently had not great earnings, which, you know, they I think they posted their first loss in a really long time. But uh, And advertising wasn't doing great, but it also was something that supplemented the fact that core retail sales were going down. And I think that all of these other marketplaces are seeing that and saying, well, we should try and do that. With, with eBay specifically, I think it's really interesting because you mentioned how eBay is in the process of trying to be more competitive with other resale sites, and it's also trying to um, target more luxury-like owners. Mm-hmm. They've, they've been doing a lot of sneaker authentication. They've been doing a lot of nicer things. And so to have these sellers who sell very high-priced goods uh, and then also have a, an ad market that they're trying to grow atop that is very different from the eBay that I remember growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, where mm-hmm. it was just like, can I get a broken computer <laughs> and bid on it for 30 cents, you know? Yeah. Okay, and then we should also mention 
Etsy, which has a little bit of a different model um, where it essentially makes money from um, sellers being on there. A lot of handmade and artisan sellers, although that could be argued at this point because it's also gotten a lot of, you know, <laughs> infiltration, of course, from resellers and all that. They also reported that their ad program is growing a lot. And this one's actually a little bit more controversial because it is, they essentially try to target these, you know, sort of small merchants on the platform. Um, some of them, you know, begrudgingly participating. A lot of them that I've spoken to over the past year uh, who don't really you know, they're not on Amazon and eBay. They're not making as much through their stores, but they are getting pressured to uh, buy these ads in order to get actual traffic to their site. But it's obviously paying off for Etsy. So how does that defer? And is this sort of pushing the envelope a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to sound like a broken record, but this is more of that Amazon play. Um, and like your story, we came out was it th this past summer? When 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 did you write that story? Everyone read it. Who's listening? <laughs> about the uh, <laughs> about the sellers. Uh, I think it was the holiday. Uh, it was the first holiday where they have a higher transaction fee at plus being yes, more encouraged. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, I, it was a great story, and it was about how all of these sellers feel forced into paying these fees. You know, pretty much pay to play fees for advertising. Um, and they didn't want to, and so some were going on strike. There were a lot of different things going on, and clearly Etsy just kept their heads down and said, tough, um, and it worked. Um, and that's kind of what's going on. That's that's kind of a playbook that Amazon has done. If you're an Amazon seller, you are sort of expected to buy into this advertising space uh, and pay for you know, visibility, um, and it's very pay-to-play, and it's very transactional, and it's pretty much like table stakes. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't just have to put a put something on the site and sell it in order to get a sale. You need to boost it in some way, and so it it is interesting that by adding this type of program to Etsy, which I think the difference might be is that Etsy targets very very small sellers who don't have the same financial, mm -hmm. I guess, like. Abilities that maybe you know a multi-million dollar Amazon seller would have, but still, the it clearly works. Like the ad, the, the ad program grew. The people paid their entry fee, and hope you know ideally they they sold some stuff. So I don't know. It's you know, a little demoralizing in the sense that like it was at the expense of these small sellers, but also it's clearly a playbook that works for these marketplaces. Yeah, and uh, with that, we should also uh, mention maybe we can go a little bit into uh, these. The types of ads that we hear a lot about when we talk to companies or uh, marketers, which is that I think with the case of Amazon, it's a little bit actually of a black box, right? Everybody's always trying to figure out what their product's uh, keywords are or you know what the algorithm is to be able to actually reach people. And then they're constantly being obviously outbid. And then I wonder if that's you know going to be maybe be the case coming up for eBay and Etsy as they deepen these programs. Yeah, and I think also with Amazon, and this is something they've done for years, is that they will frequently introduce a new program and they give preferential treatment to the companies or sellers that test out a new ad program early. Mm -hmm. And But like sometimes, you know, I remember a couple of years ago they were doing video and would you have you ever watched a video on Amazon? I actually uh -huh. have. I have to say I've watched okay. <laughs> one, one Real Housewives live sales video. I, I okay. admitted, so, admitting to that. 
you're you're allowed. I've I've never watched one, and I maybe now I will because they're much more ubiquitous. But sellers were, they it was clear that Amazon was giving was juicing these ad units, and any seller that used them was going to get more sales, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't an actual organic view. And I think that maybe that with you know Etsy and eBay as they grow out their ad platform, maybe they add different types of units. That that seems to be how they work, where they you know they push a unit on the homepage and that leads to more sales mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't know. All, all that being said is that that seems to be the way that things are going for these marketplaces that are trying to sell ads in addition to just, you know, being platforms to sell goods. Right. And uh, I think from the brand side, this is, of course, uh, just anecdotal from what I've heard over the years, but um, there's also this sense of sort of a little bit of a spamming aspect to it. Like I think leading up to Prime Days, Days with an S this year, this past mm-hmm. year, um, I've heard some brands being like, "Oh my God, I'm getting like you know notifications to turn on ads uh, on the hour," you know. So you know, I think like these yeah. companies, these platforms know what they're doing, and they know that maybe being incessant and uh, a little bit, you know, a sen- creating a sense of sense of urgency is. Uh, their sort of strategy. Absolutely. I mean, but that being said, eBay and Etsy are not as ubiquitous mm-hmm. as Amazon. Maybe to some sellers they are, but it's also a very different type of volume and a very very different type of shopper. So I don't imagine it'll be apples to apples with all of yeah. this. But it is interesting that this is where a lot of the growth is coming from, specifically as a lot of sales volumes are going down because of the economy, mm-hmm. which I think leads very well to our next topic. This one has more to do with big box stores and just sort of major chain retailers uh, announcing this week, like, hey, just FYI, our sales are going to be slowing down, you know, giving us a little nudge nudge <laughs> to their shareholders. Um, the, you know, they include, of course, Walmart and uh, Home Depot, which both reported their quarterly earnings this week. Uh, somewhat disappointing. But of course, I think we always have to remember that the comps to 2021 and 2022 are huge, right? I mean, I don't know if any any analyst I've spoken to expected that growth momentum to continue. But even with that said, um, I think they're very cognizant of saying um, this coming year is going to be tough and the demand, they're already, you know, warning that they're dropping. So, Kale, do you want to um, tell us a little bit about Walmart start to start out with? Because they're sort of a bellwether sure. for this. Yeah, Walmart is always the company that no matter what does pretty well. And that being said, Walmart did pretty well. Um, they saw uh, their revenue grew 7.3% um, this past quarter to $164 billion. Um, I need to double check. Uh, I'm not sure if that was a slowdown from the last quarter or not. I- I'll-, I'll check that. But either way, it grew, but also the type of demand demand for stuff has been changing. And I thought this was really interesting in the fact that they pretty much said it's, you know, while, you know, overall sales were growing, uh, it's business was really focused on private label growth. So name brands things, name brand items didn't do as well, but its private label products were really popping off. And I thought that was interesting because that's a really big indicator for the type of demand that uh, we're going to see over the next year. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to go a little bit into the private label of it all, um, that essentially means, you know, it's the hip new term for store-bought brands. And a lot of, of, of course, you know, they're not the brands that you know of yesteryear; these are very um, well researched, well developed brands that Walmart, uh, Target is really has become really well known for their brands like Good and Gather, and in some cases, they actually are outperforming uh, the actual you know vendor brands, which maybe to the dismay of some of some of those brands. 
Yeah, no, I mean, like Walmart specifically, their Kirkland, which is a private label, has a cult following and people swear like Kirkland wine. I think it's Kirkland wine is like great. And then, you know, there are also other retailers like Aldi and Trader Joe's where they pretty much Mm -hmm. only sell their own private label. And when they do well, a lot of people look at them as an indicator for what what's going on in the economy. Mm -hmm. But the fact that, you know, Walmart has always had a good private label program of recently, it's been boosting it and giving upgrades to a lot of them or rebranding them. And the fact that at its earnings this time, it pretty much said, this is our one of our main drivers of growth, I think is really important because Walmart doesn't just rely on private label. Mm-hmm. It is a huge retailer that has, you know, thousands of vendor contracts and, you know, sells, you know, both cheap things and expensive yeah. things. Yeah. And with private label, um, I think we've seen a lot of uh, talk about how it's not just uh, the middle and lower income customers that, you know, a lot of times get associated with these types of products. It's actually, um, I think I read somewhere that even households uh, that make over $100,000 a year are also trading down, quote unquote, I think is the term, to private labels. So that's also very indicative. I mean, some of them maybe just for, um, like you said, cult status, but some of them maybe to actually save a couple dollars on each product. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, my... I grew up, my family bought private label. Um, But I also do think that like, you know, the the cult status thing is much more of a younger sort of coastal elite millennial (laughs) irony thing. But you know, that that sells marketing wise, I guess. But I think that private label, there there is not, it's not really a pejorative term, or at least a lot of those brands are not pejorative to a lot Mm -hmm. of even like middle income or higher income households, because they too want to save money. And often those are like good products. Right. Yeah, I think uh, overall, just the reputation um, has been shaken off in general. But let's switch gears a little bit and talk about, um, maybe first we'll go into Home Depot, just it's because it's a little bit more um, of a one-to-one to what Walmart is, but obviously in this case, DIY and uh, homeware. And of course, this was such a hot category, really very late into the pandemic. I remember even more so than other uh, retailers. But of course, Home Depot also mentioned a little bit of a slowdown and more expected slowdown this coming year. Uh, what does that say for, you know, and then we saw it, you know, with Wayfair this week, uh, they're, they've been having a couple of disappointing quarters. What does this mean for the home goods and uh, DIY category scale? I mean, I think that we've been saying this for like a little less than a year now, but like the the home goods boom is clearly tapering off. And while there is still demand, people are going to continue building homes, renovating homes, doing things like that. It's not going to be the same that it was, you know, a year ago, two years ago. Um, and the Home Depot thing is really interesting because Home Depot is usually a pretty solid retailer when it comes to this kind of stuff. But it is clearly, especially because it relies on both like, you know, DIY people, mm-hmm. you know, people who work, you know, are, are renovating their own homes, but also the professionals. Yeah. But it is also seeing like a huge shift in demand. Um, the, the CFO told CNBC, I jotted down this quote, we've seen an increasing degree of price sensitivity as the years gone on, which is actually sort of what we predicted in the face of persistent inflation, mm-hmm. which is essentially the company saying that prices are higher and that's really eating our bottom line. And as a result, um, its revenue only grew 0.3% mm-hmm. this past quarter, which which is not great. And so I think it just the fact that Home Depot is seeing such flattened results is really a bad sign for the overall home improvement area and maybe even some of the big box area. Yeah. 
yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how this will impact some of the other adjacent retailers like Lowe's. We'll be hearing from them soon, I think. And then um, to switch a little bit more on the you know small merchant side, uh, we obviously have to talk about Shopify when it comes to the sort of the slowdown phenomena that we're hearing about, uh, which also reported last week uh, revenue gro- uh, growth in the fourth quarter was 26% year over year. Of course, that sounds uh, great, except it's compared to the 41% that they recorded the same time last year over 2021. So Again, maybe about half the amount of growth that they were doing. And of course, to those of you who may not know, Shopify, you know, the supports, what is it, millions, thousands of small businesses or direct direct to consumer brands. And so they kind of have um they're pretty reliable when it comes to data on this type of thing and how much sales are actually coming into these types of brands. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Shopify for the last year or two, you know, ever since the initial boom of the pandemic has been having difficulties keeping, you know, keeping up and keeping up with expectations from Wall Street. But I do think the fact that the growth slowed this much uh, is indicative of a macroeconomic issue that pretty much everyone is seeing, which is that shopping patterns are finally coming back down to earth. And also there is a lot of economic tumult, a lot of, you know, inflationary, you know, inflationary issues. And as a result, uh, it's just not going to be as gangbuster of a year in terms of sales and you know sales volume that people thought. And so you know there it's not you know, Shopify is certainly not the same as Home Depot, mm-hmm. as the same as Walmart, but they all get at similar you know zoomed out um, effects that I think are interesting to keep tabs on. Yeah, and I think just being more on the e-commerce side, uh, we should also mention that you know like a lot of tech companies, they've uh, they've been going through some. Rounds of layoffs, uh, which is you know a little bit different than what Home Depot and Walmart announced, which is actually that they've uh, they both raised the uh, hourly minimum wage. Maybe they mentioned that like that's where a lot of the spending is going, and so that was a, l- a little bit had to do with the sort of uh, warning of what we'll be seeing because of course a lot of the finances are going to be tumbling. Yeah. I mean, yes, uh, I've, and I, there was a lot of coverage about Home Depot specifically, the fact that they're raising their minimum wage, which is good, and that that will eat into their bottom line. But uh, I don't know. that It's the kind of thing that I'm sure after a few quarters will even out over time. <laughs> yes, we shall hope so. Next up, we will be talking about Starbucks's new Oliato coffee. So you've heard of butter coffee, but Starbucks' CEO wants you to get into olive oil. This one got social media talking this week. Uh, Caught my eye, of course, because I'm like, olive oil in coffee coming out of Italy, tell me more. Of course, Starbucks probably always has a motive. So should we go into some of the points into that uh, that maybe brought us to this product launch? So you want olive oil in your coffee, Gabby? Well, I guess it depends on the olive oil, right? I mean, are we talking how, how what's the quality here? Like, is it extra virgin? Is it cold pressed? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, what, like, this was interesting. I have a lot, a lot of thoughts yes. on it because I like coffee, but what, like, do can you, how does it actually work? So, Where is the olive oil infused? So I look. I, I watched some TikTok videos out of Italy where some uh, baristas were actually showing how they make it. And it does look like almost the way that you infuse, you know, 
bulletproof coffee uh, with the butter with the sort of like whisking motion and then um, making lattes out of it. I mean, I think this is going to defer product by product. It looks like there's a couple of different variations on it, um, but it's being tested in Italy before rolling out in the U.S. here. And then um, at the same time, I mean, this is probably the first big product launch from Starbucks that we've seen in a couple of years. And it comes at the heels of, of course, a lot of contentious time for the company, um, because I think the focus has been off of, you know, the coffee, I think, for a while now. And especially with some new entrants like uh, uh, Blank Street, which thinks of itself as a competitor. But with that said, uh, Kel, why don't you walk us into the year that Starbucks had and how maybe it could relate to olive oil coffee? I mean, like, it strikes me the moment I saw this, I was like, this is a tactic to get press about something else. <laughs> Pretty much Starbucks has been embroiled in a, you know, very historic unionization battle for like years now. And pretty much uh, there have been hundreds of Starbucks locations that have you know, filed positions to join the union. Starbucks has fought back. Pretty much it's become a quagmire. Um, and it's been, you know, very, very rough just like just seeing all the different, you know, things that are going on with Starbucks related to this. Um, and I so I thought it was kind of interesting the fact that you're right. I we I can't remember the last like big new product, flashy product that Starbucks has announced, uh, because this has always been sort of the backdrop as this labor battle. Um, but it's also interesting that like this week the company announced this glitzy new olive oil based um, coffee. But also Howard Schultz went on CNN and gave you know a, a pretty lengthy interview, and that talked about his uh, his opposition to the union. So it's clear that he's trying to like sort of do a PR renovation of Starbucks to get people to think of it more about its products and like rethink their attitudes towards the union, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. Yeah. And uh, I think it was probably maybe 24 hours removed of uh, some headlines mentioning that a federal court is uh, warning Starbucks to stop their quote unquote illegal union busting. So again, you know, I don't want us to be, to come off speculating too much, but I think when it comes to these types of companies, it's uh, it's probably safe to say that, yeah, maybe dangling a shiny new object might help. Uh, but with that said, I mean, maybe we could talk a little bit about, like, is a refresh needed, right? Because I know there's excitement about uh, pumpkin spice latte. I feel like every fall we get data about how it's, you know, increasing foot traffic at Starbucks. And this has been much needed in the past couple of years because, commuting patterns have changed. And so a lot of these coffee chains have seen sort of an upheaval in the way people are coming in or buying, or, you know, I think they've really bet high on drive-thru, for example. So, you know, is a menu refresh the answer? Yeah. I mean, I think Starbucks is a really interesting example because its focus since the pandemic and even a little bit before was on convenience and like, I guess, uh, seamless transactions. Digital so they orders. Had those to go, yeah, like the digital orders, those to-go only stores. Um, the idea was that if you need a coffee, you can order on your phone, pick it up, it'll be waiting for you. You can do drive through all these different things. And before, what Starbucks was most famous for was its quote-unquote third place. Mm-hmm. Like The idea that it was a very comfortable place that you could sit and sip. Um, and that's a, you know, b- both of those 
things are emblems of the times that they began. But I also think that in this focus on being very transactional, on being very quick, Starbucks lost some of its sort of luster, I guess you can Mm -hmm. say. Like, it's not the same, it's not the same experience that it was before because it's not about lounging. It's not about getting an expensive drink. It's about receiving your caffeine as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it's now trying to do this, you know, more luxury drink, this something that's, you know, has an Italian name, Mm -hmm. I think is, is sort of a going back to its roots of being, you know, sort of a premium, a quote unquote premium coffee brand that, you know, people can sort of lounge to sit and enjoy their olive oil coffee. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That was just my first thought when it came out. Yeah. And I do think it's worth mentioning that uh, the... The Oliato line is being first launched in uh, a Starbucks reserve. And so for those of you who don't know, the reserves are those really fancy Starbucks uh, locations that have, you know, wine and cocktails and fancy coffee drinks. And they're really meant to, you know, mimic what Kale just described, which is more of a sort of a cross between, well, let's. I don't know, maybe I don't, I don't want to use this term, but the third space, which I think Starbucks <laughs> pioneered. And it that is sort of a contrast to the convenience-based uh, growth that they've been trying to do, right? I mean, I think uh, reserve bars are actually growing too. They've opened a lot more. Uh, there's a new one in um, Midtown Manhattan that just opened. Um, and so like you said, it's sort of, it, it does give me a little bit of a mixed message. It's like, what is Starbucks trying to be next? Yeah, absolutely. Though maybe this is an indication that it's, you know, at least cognizant of its space as a third place purveyor or whatever, and that it needs to cater to these customers. Because if they are opening more reserve stores, they are having these new drinks that are also in reserve stores. That is clearly the old type of Starbucks and the one that I grew up on. And it's not the same as me doing a digital order for, you know, a half calf, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this is especially the case internationally where uh, Starbucks has been growing exponentially faster than the U.S., including uh, China. It's like a really huge priority for them. Um, So with that said, uh, Kale, as our in-house coffee expert, is olive oil infused coffee going to be the new bullet coffee I can't tell you. I tried bullet coffee once and I hated it. Um, I, I don't know. Like, it, and so maybe you didn't it go will. through a keto phase. I think that I didn't know. And like, I don't know. Like, I think that putting oil in coffee is something that maybe some people like, but is a little could could repulse a few people, myself included. <laughs> like the idea of drinking oil, but Starbucks clearly does. You know, testing, you know, product testing checks out what its demographics want and maybe it'll be you know really big and maybe my perception will change over time yeah. but i will say i was never i was never taken with bulletproof coffee even when it was all the rage yeah. so i'm not going to try it probably Howard Shaw says it it's going to change your life so i will wait and see <laughs> but i would try okay it. that's all the time we have this week don't forget to give us a rating and a review on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you're listening to this it really helps us out a lot Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Modern Retail Podcast to hear interviews with industry leaders every Thursday. It's hosted by Kale here, and he always has some amazing guests on. Kale, do you want to give us a little preview of who you have on next week? Sure. I spoke with the um, CEO and founder of a rowing company called Avaron. Mm -hmm. They're out of Toronto. And 
It's Connected Fitness, Gamified Fitness. It was a really fun conversation. Great. Excited to hear it. And as always, uh, listen out for the Modern Retail Rundown, which drops on Saturday mornings. Thank you so much. 